Thank you, Lee. I'm glad for that clarification because I can tell you right now, as I get going in the sermon, I'm going to start mixing them up uh, myself. But you all will be good and straight on that. Let's pray. Father, we ask that You would um, fill us with Your Spirit as Your Word has been read and now as uh, You have given me uh, the calling to proclaim it. I pray that You would give us ears to hear and eyes to see the beautiful things revealed in Your Word. We ask through Jesus our Lord. Amen. This is sort of a part two to last week's sermon. And for those of you who are visiting, we are working our way through uh, the life of Elisha. And uh, we'll be doing so for the next several weeks. Last week in my sermon, I made the statement, if you are persistent and dogged in your Christian life and in your pursuit of God's will, you will be encouraged and emboldened because Elisha was a man of great faith and great action. But it raises the question, how do you know if you are indeed following God's will? It doesn't help if you're a, a, a person of great action doing a lot of things and you're headed off in the wrong direction. What if you don't know which direction you should go in order to follow God's will? We face many difficulties and many difficult questions in our life. How should I spend my time and my resources? What work should I be involved in? Who should I marry? I imagine many of us would be thrilled if we could sit down face to face with God Himself and ask Him about the decisions and choices that we should make. The issue before us this morning is, how can I know God's will? Now we saw last week how Elisha defied Elijah's explicit directions. Elijah told Elisha to stay in Gilgal, but Elisha refused. Then Elijah told Elisha to stay in Bethel, but Elisha refused. Then Elijah told Elisha to stay in Jericho, but again... Elisha refused. Elisha, we saw last week, received his call to succeed Elijah when Elijah placed uh, his cloak on Elisha's shoulders. So Elisha uh, knew it was God's will that he serve Elijah until Elijah's ministry had ended. Elisha, we saw last week, was tenacious and dogged. He was determined and persistent in seeking to follow God's will. That is why Elisha would not listen to Elijah when he was told to stay behind. But we don't have the luxury of a prophet telling us which decisions to make. No prophet is going to come up to us and place a cloak on our shoulders that will determine our vocation or the direction of our lives. So, let's look at a few principles for how to discern God's will. And the most important priority in discerning God's will is having our confidence in God. 
God loves His children. He sent His Son into our world to suffer and bleed and die for His children. He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also along with Him graciously give us all things? In other words, even if you are not able to correctly discern God's will, and you make a great big mess out of your life, even if the mistakes you have made in the past have put you in such a big hole here in the present, that you're having a very difficult time digging out, even if your regrets hang around your neck like a millstone pulling you down, even in spite of all that, God loves you. In spite of your past, in spite of your present mistakes, No matter how big those mistakes are, God shall bring us safely home in spite of ourselves. We will slip and stray, but God's everlasting arms are beneath us. He will always catch, rescue, and restore His children. This is how good He is. He will not let us ruin our souls. Now, if you don't belong to God, you have no such confidence. You have no reasons for such confidence. You may be very smart. You may be very capable. You may be very disciplined. You may be able to do great things. But if you do not belong to God, your soul will end in ruin for all eternity. You will always and forever miss God's blessings. Our God is sovereign. He works all things together for good to those who love Him. He works all things together for good for His children. Even our mistakes and our straying is part of God's good, wise, and sovereign providence in our lives. Paul assured the Ephesians of this in chapter 1, verse 11, when he said, "...in Him we have obtained an inheritance." having been predestined according to the plan of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, so that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. In other words, God works every solitary circumstance according to His will for the express purpose of our eternal inheritance and glory. In a very real way, I can say that it, is po- that it is impossible for any of His children to miss His will for our life because our life is working exactly according to His sovereign will. When it comes to discerning God's will, we can actually say that, 20, that hindsight is twenty twenty. So let me underscore again. God loves His children. You and your circumstances are in His loving hands. That is the most important aspect of knowing and discerning God's will. You can trust that God will guide you through your life. If you are struggling 
with this thought that God will lead you and that He will love you because you, you feel the guilt of your sins. You think, how could God really love me? Or I made such a big mistake. How will He ever uh, fix this in my life? If you struggle with that thought, I want to recommend to you to take a little time this afternoon in Psalm 25. Psalm 25 is a psalm that where David is uh, recounting uh, God's promises to lead him, promises to love him, promises to forgive his past sins, promises to not punish him for his sins, but continue to love him and lead him. Psalm 25 is a beautiful psalm that I would urge you to spend a little time this afternoon uh, meditating upon. So the first, the most important aspect of knowing and discerning God's will is to be confident in God and in His love for you. The second aspect of correctly discerning God's will is relying on the Holy Spirit's leading. God led His people out of Egypt with a glory cloud which was a physical manifestation of the Holy Spirit. Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit while He was here on earth. The Holy Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted. The early church was also led in its missionary priorities by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit said, Set Barnabas and Paul apart from Me. The Holy Spirit said, Don't stay in Asia, but go over to, to uh, Europe. And on and on. And so it is correct for us to think or to believe and confess that God the Holy Spirit also leads us. What does it mean to be led according to the Spirit when it, when it comes to discerning God's will? Well, there's a subjective element when it comes to being led by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit speaks to our conscience. He guides our desires. And He arranges our, our particular circumstances. He leads one person in a certain direction and another person in a different direction. The Holy Spirit led me to become a pastor. He called me into the ministry. He led me by giving me an unstoppable burden to teach people about Jesus Christ. But He used a reaction in my own life to being raised in a church uh, where there was a lot of unbiblical teaching about Jesus Christ. The Jesus I heard about growing up was basically a fire insurance policy to keep me out of hell. He wasn't the Lord of heaven and earth. I didn't ever come to understand the depth of the Gospel. Because as long as I had the fire insurance policy, that was all that mattered. And so, as I became a Christian during my freshman year in college, I began reading the Scriptures, and I met a different Jesus than the one I had heard about growing up. And so I began from almost immediately after becoming a Christian. I would lay awake at night um, on my bed in, in my dorm and think of sermons that I would love to go back to my home church and preach because I was so eager to tell them about Jesus Christ. Even though I 
was terrified of the prospect of publicly uh, standing in front of people and opening my mouth. This burden was so great, frankly, that it felt like it would be sinful for me to do anything else in life. God did not speak to me audibly, but in my conscience, I was deeply convicted that I must train for the gospel ministry with all my heart. And God arranged so many different circumstances to make that possible. It'd take too much time for me to, to go in, into a, just a smattering of the circumstances that God arranged for me to be trained in the gospel ministry. But my point is, this is all very subjective. It is how the Holy Spirit led me. He has obviously not led everyone else in the same way. So being led by the Holy Spirit means that we need to pray for sensitivity to the Spirit's leading. Now that being said, being led by the Holy Spirit is not purely subjective. The Holy Spirit speaks through His Word. He speaks through the Bible. In fact, the Bible is the Holy Spirit's Word. The Holy Spirit has given us ethical rules in the Bible's commands. The Holy Spirit has given us guidelines for wisdom in the book of Proverbs. The Holy Spirit has given us encouragement through the Scripture's promises. In the words of 2 Peter chapter 1, the Holy Spirit has given us in the Scriptures everything we need for life and for godliness. And so we must listen carefully to Scripture if we would be sensitive to the Holy Spirit's leading in our lives. The third aspect of correctly discerning God's will is listening to others in the body of Christ. Even with a keen sensitivity to the Holy Spirit's leading, it is still very easy to make poor choices. We have only finite wisdom and we continue to be sinners. It is hard oftentimes to see beyond our own self-centered point of view. We need to listen to the advice of others in the body of Christ. And Scripture is emphatic that we listen to this advice. Proverbs 12, verse 15 says, "...the way of a fool..." is right in his own eyes. But a wise man listens to advice. It is a sign of conceit and immaturity to ignore advice in making major decisions. There are always people that know the, better, the Bible better than we do. There's always others who know human nature better than we do. There are even others always that know us well and know our own gifts and limitations better even than we do. Even if we cannot finally accept their advice, only good will come to us from carefully weighing what others say to us when we go to them for advice. The fourth aspect of correctly discerning God's will is to be willing to uh, question yourself, to, um, to uh, suspect yourself that you might be wrong. 
You must be willing to question yourself and your motives. It's easy. And I think you would know this as well. It is easy for us to persuade ourselves that God is telling us to do what we really, really want to do. We can recognize rationalizations in others, but completely overlook those same rationalizations in ourselves. Personal biases can be very powerful. There are many Christians who have been able to persuade themselves that dating a non-Christian is somehow acceptable to God. There are many Christians who have been able to persuade themselves that it is not so displeasing to God to live with a girlfriend or a boyfriend outside of marriage. There are many Christians who have been able to persuade themselves that sexual relations outside of marriage is not so wrong because the sexual urges are so strong. There are many Christians who have been able to persuade themselves that it is acceptable to live beyond their means and accrue great mountains of debt. I just I saw a headline this past week that the average American dies with $62,000 worth of debt. Now, to be fair, without home loans, that average debt balance drops down to about 13000 But still, even 13000 is an unacceptable uh, amount of debt. And many, many professing Christians are among those dying with this high debt. And we could go on and on of ways that we uh, persuade ourselves of things that we really want are acceptable to God when God's Word is clear, but they are not. Now, returning to our text, the prophets in Jericho, they needed to question themselves, but they were unwilling to do that. They did not have any promises telling them that Elijah was going to be coming back. So the idea was that this whirlwind or this tornado picked up Elijah. And the prophets were thinking that maybe because they missed him so much, they allowed themselves to themselves that maybe God would, would um, take Elijah and place him on some mountain somewhere. Um, but they didn't have any promises that told them that Elijah would be returning to them. In fact, they had just the opposite. Elisha was wearing Elijah's cloak. In other words, the ministry had been transitioned. And the Holy Spirit had told uh, these prophets that Elijah wasn't coming back. They had told, they had even themselves told Elisha that God was going to take Elijah away in verse 5. Look, look at verse 5 in chapter 2. The sons of the prophets who were at Jericho drew near to Elisha and said to him, Do you not know that today the Lord will take away your master from over you? They knew it, but they refused to accept it. And of course, Elisha had to tell them, if you'll remember from last week, uh, hasha, your mouth. The word, the Hebrew word for, for be quiet is hasha. But the prophets were so set on their distress 
upon losing Elijah that they refused to listen to reason. They refused to listen to the Holy Spirit. They refused to listen also to Elisha. So look at verses 15 through 18. Now when the sons of the prophets at Jericho saw him opposite them, they said, The spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. And they came to meet him and bowed down to the ground before him. And they said to him, Behold now, there are with your servants fifty strong men. Please let them go and seek your master. It may be that the Spirit of the Lord has caught him up and cast him upon some mountain or into some valley. And he said, You shall not send. But when they urged him till he was ashamed, he said, Send. They sent therefore fifty men, and for three days they sought him, but did not find him. And they came back to him while he was staying at Jericho. And he said to them, Did I not not say to you, Do not go? Which is rich with irony, because Elisha refused to listen to Elijah. Now these prophets refused to listen to Elisha, But Elisha had the promise. These prophets had no such promise. In fact, they had the opposite. In other words, watch out. Make sure that you are not trying to substitute your will for God's will. The fifth and last aspect of correctly discerning God's will is to expect trials along the way. Making the right choices and decisions does not necessarily lead to a trouble-free life. Sometimes following God leads to a whole new crop of problems that otherwise would not have arisen. Your determination to follow God might lead to isolation, might lead to criticism, it might lead uh, to you being abandoned by your friends. I know uh, some of you in this congregation have even lost a spouse because of your commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. And all of us in our following the Lord Jesus Christ have met with many different frustrations along the way. Count it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you fall into various trials knowing that the tempting of your faith um, will uh, cause you to grow in the Lord Jesus Christ. God led the Israelites out of Egypt. And life was so difficult that most of the Israelites were seriously considering returning back to slavery in Egypt. Many of you have faced horrible, terrible trials as a result of your commitment to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. God has called us to live a life of faith in Jesus Christ. The just, the Bible says, shall live by faith. God is calling you to follow His will wherever He leads you. Wherever He leads. He is calling you to be diligent, tenacious, dogged, determined, and persistent in seeking and serving Him. You need to stay connected to Christ, the true vine, if you're going to have power to do that. Might you ever veer off track? Yes, you will. Might you ever stumble? Yes, you will. 
Might you face hardships because of your faith in Christ? Yes, you will. But you're in God's hands the whole way. One challenging thought before we quit. Because God loves us, and we are secure in Christ, and He is sovereignly working out all things together for our good, when it comes to discerning and following God's will, I think we would do well to be much more concerned with seeking God's glory rather than seeking God's will for our security, happiness, and fulfillment. I believe that seeking God's glory first will largely take care of our security, happiness, and fulfillment. But don't take my opinion as the final word. Listen to our Lord Jesus in Matthew 6.33. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you as well. As we pray together. Almighty God, we commit ourselves to You to seek Your will wherever You lead. I pray that You would empower us continually by Your Spirit. Give us discernment. Give us wise counsel from others in the body of Christ. And help us to with tenacity, determination, doggedness and persistence to seek You and Your kingdom first. We ask in Jesus' name, Amen.